0: Please grab your Bibles or smartphones or whatever it is that you may have. Would you find 1 Kings, Old Testament book of 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to begin reading in verse 7. And uh, we'll read about uh, a few verses down. Then we'll catch up the rest of that chapter as we go. But we're in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 7. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. We're glad to see you today. We dedicated babies in both services today. We recognize the day that the Lord has made, and we're glad that you all are here. And uh, we're, we're talking about making our series under the, uh, uh, under the title, What Can God Do? And uh, we recognize that uh, regardless of what happens in this world, regardless of what's taking place in your life, the Bible tells us many times there's nothing that God cannot do. Nothing is impossible with God. He is, His resources, His power, His strength is unlimited. And those things are good to say, particularly in a service such as this. Uh, particularly those are the things that we want to be resolved to continue to place our faith in. And uh, as we're out in this world doing the things that we do Or particularly stresses that you may be facing Or difficulties or circumstances So may it be so today that uh, we will forever be resolved That we will always trust in Him And know that there's nothing that God cannot do We're learning that from the story of Elijah's God We're in 1 Kings chapter 17 beginning with verse 7 And it says this "And And after a while the brook dried up Because there was no rain in the land then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she began, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar. And a little oil in the jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son. That we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. The jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went as Elijah said, and she. And he and her household ate for many days. The jug of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. Well, it was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I was uh, young and single, and I was uh, beginning a new church job, one of my very first More of a part-time kind of position on staff at a church, kind of a weekend Wednesdays and other days. And they told me that whenever you're here in our town, you can stay in one of the widows, Elijah's room. And I just went along with it. I wasn't sure what an Elijah room was at that time. Later, I looked it up, but I was afraid it had something to do with locust and wild honey because Elijah and John the Baptist ate locust and wild honey. But there was a couple in that church known for their hospitality, and they actually built upon their house an extra room with a bed and shower, its own entrance. Uh, And it was for evangelists and missionaries to come, and sometimes staff like me to come and to be able. Uh, to stay. So whenever I read this passage, I read, I think about that widow that, uh, uh, because even after he died, she continued to keep that widow, that uh, Elijah room for other people to stay. So I appreciate her and I appreciate many other ladies that I've known throughout different churches and particularly in this church who have been friends, grandmothers to my children. Uh, helped us along the way, and I'm thankful for all that the ladies have done. That's been very special, of course, to me and my family. But today we're going to pull a double whammy as we continue to trek through First Kings, and we're going to learn some life lessons about Christian love from Elijah and this widow who welcomed her into her, who welcomed him into her home. There's one phrase in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 that says, love is not selfish. That's going to kind of serve as our theme for today. And while this widow, she was not the typical person to take care of someone else. She was not selfish. She gave her what she had. We'll find out that she was not probably the one that we think that we could learn lessons about unselfishness. But here one of the great prophets of God, Elijah, announced to the king of Israel that there would be a famine in the land earlier in the chapter before this. And that... Famine would come because the people would been unfaithful, and particularly the king, Ahab, and Queen Jezebel had worshipped idols, and they had worshipped other gods. So judgment was coming. It was God discipline that there would not be rain for three and a half years. And during that time, God told Elijah to go and hide until time was right for him to reveal himself again. But God provided for Elijah. He sent him first to a brook. And he was fed by ravens who carried meat and bread to him every morning and every night in an almost a Disney movie kind of experience. Because of the famine, the brook dries up. Probably maybe to test perhaps this prophet or refine and increase his faith. But God tells Elijah to go to the city of Sidon. There a widow would take care of his needs. Now, it's hard for us maybe to put ourselves in Elijah's shoes, but for most of us, if we're somehow... Told to go and see a person, and they're going to take care of our needs. We're probably thinking this is a person who has something. That has at least enough to take care of themselves, and perhaps even other people as well, and then some. How surprised Elijah must have been to come to this foreign city to find the widow gathering sticks to make the last meal for her and her son. They have enough for one last meal, but no foreseeable Prospects that they're going to be able to eat any other meals because of the famine that has taken place and they find themselves hopeless. They will eat what they have and then wait to die as the only future they see is to starve to death. Now, if Elijah was human at all and we're told in the book of James he was, the thought had to cross his mind. Lord, this is the widow that you're sending to me to take care of my needs. Maybe he chuckled and he thought, well, at least God has a sense of humor. I mean, he's been taken care of him by ravens bringing him meat and bread twice a day and now he goes to find this widow who has no food and is preparing to die. If nothing else, you can know that your God is creative. He is innovative. But Elijah's faith wins out. God gives Elijah insight into how this is going to take place. and Elijah tells her, do not fear. Take what little flour and oil you have and make me a cake and make some for you and your son. Then he goes on to tell her said that jar of flour will never be used up. The jug of oil will never run empty until the famine is over. She does not have enough for her and her son. Elijah asked her to make him some cake. Now, this is not because he's having dessert before supper. This is more like a bread cake to eat. But did you notice her response? She did as was asked or how how God had directed her through Elijah. And from then on, there was enough food for Elijah and for her son and for this Widow, the jar of flour was never used up. The jug of oil never ran dry. Sometimes I have to be reminded that Mother's Day is not a religious holiday. But can I tell you that God ordained the family for His purposes long before Hallmark ever came up with the idea. We, we celebrate God's plan for the family. We celebrate all moms and all ladies of the church in our homes. And we recognize that sometimes this particular day, maybe even more than many of the others, can be a tough day tough day, maybe because of a loss of a loved one, Tough, maybe a tough day because of circumstances, maybe because of wrong choices that have been made, or maybe because of situations that through no fault of your own and beyond your control. I will say a couple of things this helps us, that if you're going through a tough time, mom or dad or whatever season of life, that uh, well, at least will help you to know that you're not the only one, that others have gone through, and tough times as well, but you're not the only one because God knows where you are. He knows your plight. He cares for you, and we want to remind you of that today. In fact, we will just want to give you in a few minutes that we're going to spend today on this passage and this chapter, I want to give you our moms and our ladies and our widows and whoever you are today, particularly to our females, some encouragement today, and then maybe some life lessons for the rest of us, if that would be okay. And Here's the first one. It is you can know that God has a plan. You can know that God has a plan. We're told often that God has a purpose. You have a purpose. God has a purpose for us. But it' good to know that God has a plan. I mean, regardless of the situation, regardless of your circumstance, that God has a plan, even if you've been far away from the Lord, to bring you back to Him. Or God has a plan to help you through and even to use the circumstances that you are going through as well. God's plan works for good for all of His people. Now... God could have provided for this widow and her son and for Elijah maybe in a number of ways. And we see how that's possible already. And God was really preparing Elijah for what was about to happen. Now, if you were here last week, you knew that we were in 1 Kings 18. So we've kind of gone backwards today. But we wanted to use this particularly for Mother's Day. Or if you look at the next chapter, you might notice there's one of those more well-known experiences taking place to where Elijah is having a showdown with 450 false prophets, maybe 850 false prophets there on Mount Carmel where they're building an altar and they're calling down fire upon the altar. Whoever is the real God, fire is to come. And of course, their God did not answer because He is not a God. And then we find, of course, that God did answer and fire came down on a water-soaked altar. But the Lord is using all of what's happening here in this chapter in order to prepare Him for that and for what is next. Well, God's always preparing you. He's always preparing us. Which does not mean necessarily that whatever's next is going to be worse. In fact, it could be better. But whatever the Lord is doing now, He's always preparing you for what is next. He's preparing your heart. He's making us more and more like Jesus. It may not always seem like God is using what we're going through for a greater purpose. But God's using the events in your life so that you and I, our events the situations that we're going through so that we might be an influence on others and that we might be able to have better opportunity to point more people to Jesus. Be careful, though. Because of those who are self-indulged or self-focused, people think whatever is happening, it's all about them. But it needs to be all about honoring God and about serving and loving others. We see how things are working out here because this this is also a forgotten widow. We don't even know her name. She's not living in Israel. She's living in the town of Zarephath and Sidon. She's living in the same country where Queen Jezebel was from, to where they worshipped false gods and had false prophets. She and her son could have starved to death and nobody would have noticed. She had a funeral, maybe very few, if anybody would have come, if there was a funeral at all, but God knows her. And He sends Elijah, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, who thinks he's going to be taken care of by her? But through Elijah, God provides for every need. We can know that God has a plan, and if God's plan is for us, we know that it is going to be better than our plan. We know that's going to benefit all those who are followers of the Lord Jesus. We were reminded of one of Paul's most famous chapters in Romans, chapter eight. Romans eight twenty-eight. This is how it says it in the English Standard Version. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Really? Yeah, this is one of those times to where we say, do we really believe all that the Bible says? But also, here's some encouragement and lessons for the rest of us. You can give God whatever you have. It's okay. You can give God whatever you have. Give God what you have. He'll take care of the rest. We might be reminded of the feeding of the 5,000. Do you know where they were hungry and The boy with five loaves and two small fishes were given And Jesus fed the 5,000 men, not to mention the women and the children Only miracle recorded in all four Gospels This is a widow of the Old Testament You might remember a widow of the New Testament The widow who came and gave to the Lord And when she gave, she gave her two pennies Or sometimes we call the widow's mite Jesus said she gave far more than any other Because all the others gave out of their wealth Wouldn't you like to know the fate of that particular widow? We're not told anything else about her. But after Jesus noticed that she gave all that she had, well, we'd like to maybe think in our sanctified imaginations, maybe then the Lord gave her great and significant riches of the world in which she was able to enjoy. But maybe, and far better, maybe she remained a poor widow for the rest of her days and she was able to enjoy certainly the riches of heaven as well. Well, if you don't feel like you have much to offer either in resources or gifts or talents or skills, give whatever you have over to God to be used by Him and watch what He can do. Trust God to take care of the rest. God wants to use you to confound the wise and the strong, to show His wisdom and strength through you. If you feel you do have a lot to offer, and most of us do, you've been blessed in resources and gifts and talents and skills, you also need to give it all over to God, asking God how you might be able to use for kingdom purposes. And you might be surprised on how the Lord might be able to use you in ways you've not even thought of. Every day, look for ways that you might show kindness, selfish love to others. Much of our selfishness probably has little to do maybe with our with monetary things that we have. But a lot has to do with the attitude that we have. A lot has to do with our heart. Even the words that come from our lips that either says we only care about ourselves or we really do care about others because Jesus loves us. By giving our time, talents, and resources, we cannot help but show unselfish love. But here's another encouragement, lesson for the rest of us. You can believe God for every promise. You can believe God for every promise, every word of God, every promise in His Word. God does not promise that our cupboards will never grow never run bare, our bank account will never run out. But that was God's word to her, at least until the famine came uh, to famine ended. God's word says He will supply all of our needs, not necessarily all of our luxuries. And you might remember that Jesus said, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, these things referring to the full care and the provision of God while we're alive on this earth and certainly always in heaven. Now, there's a principle here that is will be basic to our Christian journey. And it has to do with that the jar, the jar of flour never ran out, the jug of oil never ran dry, because the woman willingly gave it to the man of God. Can you imagine the woman coming every day to prepare something, opening up the flour, the jar of oil and every day, no matter how much she used, no matter how much oil she got out, Always there was more. God's word tells us time and time again, the more we give, the more we will be given. But what God gives us may not necessarily be monetary. I'm reminded of the story that uh, the fellow that uh, somehow figured out how he could make it to heaven and take his gold with him. And as he got to heaven and had a bag of gold and got there to the pearly gates and St. Peter asked him what he had and he opened up his bag and he looked at he said, I've got all my gold. I brought it with me. And Peter looked at him, looked at the bag, looked at him again, and said, That's the stuff we use for asphalt around here. Our human tendency is to hold on tightly and selfishly instead of trusting God and letting go in faith. Now, the jar of flour, the jug of oil could represent love and kindness. So, the more we love, the more we give of ourselves, the more there is to give. We never run out as long as we are giving unselfishly. Now, what if the widow had been unwilling? What do you think would have happened? What if she would have said when Elijah asked for something to eat? Are you kidding me? There's not enough here for me and my son. But that is what we do often. Maybe too often with a self-focused life a little faith in God. Hey, I need to get what's good for me and mine and I don't have time or energy to worry about you. Then we wonder why we run so low on loving kindness and unselfishness. Well, we understand, and we are thankful for moms today. We're thankful for grandmothers. We're thankful for ladies in our church. Thank you for your example of unselfish behavior. We are the benefactors. God blesses unselfishness with loving and loving kindness. The more you give self, the more there is to give. If you try to keep all that you have, if you try to keep things, not just things that we have, but the opportunities that we have to yourself, oh, it quickly runs out. Have you considered why she would do this? Why would she give her last bite to a virtual stranger? Just because he said so? God tells Elijah that he had commanded her to give, although she seems uh, unknowingly that she's been commanded to give. So was it because she loved the God of heaven so much that she was willing to become unselfish? Boy, that makes for a great lesson, doesn't it? We marked that down somewhere because she loved God, she fed Elijah, and she was rewarded for it. Well, it seems like I've read something about that somewhere. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. Because God loves us, we ought to love one another. It's a good lesson. One problem. She didn't love God. She did not even know God personally. She seems to be aware that there is a God of Elijah, a God of Israel. The town where she lived, Zarephath of Sidon, was not in Israel. It was the land of Jezebel and the false prophets. They served a foreign god. Notice again where we read in verse 12, where she said, As surely as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread. He's your God, not mine. Earlier, God told Elijah that he had commanded this widow to feed him, but she seemed surprised by the request. Well, maybe she just had a kind heart. Maybe she was desperate and had nothing to lose. Maybe if I help this guy, maybe he'll help me. I have no doubt that the spirit and the will of God played this part as God had told Elijah. And yes, God can speak. He can move the hearts even of the pagan and the lost people. But my point is this. If this foreign widow who seems not to know God personally at the beginning of the story can show unselfish behavior, how much more should the people of God who know and have experienced the love of Jesus? Do you know that Jesus talked about this story In the New Testament Luke chapter 4 Where it says Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth Most of you know what happened On the Sabbath He went to the synagogue And he read the scrolls And, and then he sat down and he said and he read some prophecy and he said Now this prophecy has been fulfilled Well they rejected him of course In fact they even took him to a nearby cliff And tried to throw him off Now that's rejection But do you remember what Jesus said A prophet is not accepted in his hometown. You know what he said next? He said, you know, there are a lot of widows in Israel. But in the time of Elijah, during the time of a famine, Elijah went to a widow outside of Israel. Went to the widow of Sidon. Uh, Listen, you might want to put a star here because whenever we read a story in the Old Testament and Jesus helps us to be able to explain it and understand it, and one of those things is this that just as Elijah had been rejected for a time from Israel, so Jesus would be rejected also by Israel. But I think here's the main point of what he's saying, and it is this. It should be God's people, Jesus' followers, who are among the most loving, selfless, and giving people, not those who are unaware of a loving God and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That lesson is true because God loves us. We certainly ought to love one another. We can believe God for every promise and every word. In fact, in Psalm 100 and verse 5, it says this, For the Lord is good, and His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. It's our incentive of unselfish love. But also it tells us from this widow who was almost forgotten, but God used that even though God was able to use her, that regardless of how good a person is, regardless of whether they're the best mom, wife, daughter, no matter how good, everybody still needs Jesus. But there's not a, another part of the story. It's not just that the flour, the oil, never run out, but there's a greater miracle that takes place. You know, it's often after great blessing comes great testing. Can I say that again? It's often after great blessing comes great testing. First Kings chapter 17, beginning with verse 17, says this, After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You've come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And He took him from her arms, carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged, and laid him in his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upper chamber into the house, and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is truth. We praise this woman for her unselfishness and her grief for her son is understandable and natural. But perhaps we thinking, well, we'd like to see a little bit more faith as she blames herself and even Elijah for his death. She has assumed that because of some sin perhaps that she had that this has happened to her son. She has not quite yet grasped about the forgiveness of God. After her son dies, she says in verse 18... That we read just a moment ago. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You, you've come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Other translations say that she said to Elijah, What do we have in common? What do you have to do with me? She was saying, that I was much better off before you came, Elijah. But she probably had forgotten at this point, of course, that she was about to go and die of starvation before he came. It might remind us of sometimes the Israelites in the wilderness wondering that, well, whenever they were, uh, had left Egypt and they were in the wilderness and times got tough, they often turned to Moses and against Moses. Why have you brought us into this wilderness only to die? We were much better off in Egypt. But no, they were not better off in Egypt as they were slaves and pressed... And treated cruelly. Or sometimes we forget how God has saved us and wonder if He cares about what we're going through. But we forget. Listen, God's not going to save you for all eternity. He's not going to rescue you from slavery to sin only to leave you now or abandon you and not give you hope. If you have trusted in Jesus for real life and for eternal life, I'm telling you, it's okay to trust Him even now, for whatever it is that you're going through. Elijah took the boy, carried him to his upper room, probably had a room with its own entrance on the roof, and he cries out to God. Also asking God why has this happened three times, lays out across the sun and asks the Lord to give back his life. You know that miracle about the flower never running out, and the jar of oil never running empty seems kind of trivial now compared to this boy being brought back to life. But you know, this is the first such miracle in the Bible of someone being brought back from the dead to live again. Elijah brings back the boy down to his mother, gives him back, and she declares in a declaration of sorts, she says, Elijah is a man of God and every word of God is true. Here's another encouragement or lesson for the rest of us. Don't think too much or too little of yourself. Don't think too much or too little of yourself. We already know that to be selfish is usually think too much of ourselves. But there's another way to be selfish. It's to think too little, woe is me attitude. I'm no good or poor, poor, pitiful me, nobody cares. It's an extreme also to avoid as those of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus. The widow immediately thought her son's dying was due to a punishment because of some past sin. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4 tells us this. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. A self-focus can also mean that you're down on yourself. There is no energy left to think about or to help another. But there's a cure for extreme self-deprivation. And His name is Jesus. He tells you that He loves you and you're a person of worth and value. God has great things in store for your life. For what is important is not who you are, but it's who you are in Christ. It's who you belong to. It's true that God don't make no junk. And if you want a cure for your feeling down or your lack of energy or bad moods or loneliness or feeling that nobody cares for you, change your focus. And decide that you want to please God in everything that you do. Decide that what you want to do is you want to see how your life might be a benefit for others. How you might be able to make somebody's day. From those who are close to you to those who would be surely surprised that you ever did anything for them. It is true that God loves you and He cares for you. Expect nothing into return when you serve God and serve others and watch the difference that it will make. A couple of weeks from now, we're going to be looking at Elijah when he was a person who got very depressed. Elijah in the Bible, imagine somebody real in the Bible. He got very depressed in the wilderness and how God ministered to him. and He wanted to take his own life or he wanted to die. We're going to talk about some helps for you or how you might be able to help someone else. But here's our encouragement and also a lesson for the rest of us. Do diligently seek the face of God. Do diligently seek the face of God. Praying to God sometimes takes time and effort. We must diligently seek God for answers, not because He wants to hide His answers from us, but... Because God wants us to know Him better. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6 says this, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Well, I'm telling you today that today He can be found. Now I'm not sure what to make of the fact that Elijah cried out to the Lord three times, lay himself over the boy. Probably sideways, not long ways, but it reminds us that we're to keep seeking the face of God and never stop trusting Him for the answer. Easy answers are from God do not require much faith. But there should be a priority to our prayer life. Again, Elijah teaches us much about prayer. The New Testament tells us as well. But first, you should pray simply to know God better. Pray to know more of Jesus. Second, you should pray for others. You want to make intercession for others. As Elijah prayed for this widow, so you should earnestly pray for others and on their behalf. And third, there's nothing wrong with praying for yourself. You're told to bring your petitions to God and be honest with your desires and how you feel, even your emotional feelings at that time, and then be sure that you yield to His desires for your life. Did you notice Elijah's prayer? He asked God, why why have you brought calamity on this widow and to this family by killing the son? Well, it sounds like an honest, genuine prayer, but it's asked in faith. Watch what happens. As you pray and as you seek God, to know Him better. And as you begin to pray for others and ask and intercede for others, that's what's going to be happening is that those things that you're praying for yourself or those close to you, you will have even more faith and be able to trust God even more for His answers. Again, this is the first of anyone being raised from the dead in the Bible. There are eight such instances to where somebody was... Revived and brought back to life. The very last one of those is found in Acts chapter 20. Young boy by the name of Eutychus is sitting in an upper story window while Paul is preaching. And while Paul is preaching, and he goes on and on in his preaching, Eutychus falls asleep, falls out the window, dead. Paul rushes down to where Eutychus is, and Lord brings him back to life. Listen, it is. It is an encouragement for every preacher who's ever stood before somebody that has fallen asleep. If if somebody could fall asleep while Paul was preaching, it could happen to anyone. Also, it's one of my favorite sermons that I preach. The title is, Falling Asleep in the Church Can Be Dangerous. By the way, you know what Paul did after Eutychus fell asleep, fell out the window dead, and brought him back to life? Paul went back up and finished his sermon. He preached until daylight. Listen, you cannot read or study one of the eight times someone is brought back to life without thinking... Are focusing on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every miracle, especially the life-giving miracles of the Bible, all point to Jesus, who, unlike all the others who died and were revived, they all died again because they're not still here with us. But Jesus is alive forevermore. And after the widow's experience with Elijah, do you notice how she now talks about the Almighty God? The very last verse in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 24. She no longer says, he's your God. In fact, she says, he is Lord, capital L, capital O-R-D, which is always an understanding or translation of the personal name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah, who is truth. You see, love must have an objective. It's not selfish, but it's to point others to the truth, that all may know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Whether you know it or not, What we have just read, we have read about the conversion of the woman of Sidon. She has now become a worshiper of God. She made Elijah's God, now her God. Which leads to the last lesson for today. If we are going to show unselfish love, follow the example and the unselfishness as seen in Jesus. For God is the ultimate example of unselfishness through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, it says, But, speaking of Jesus, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For he did not stay on that cross. But he died and he rose again. He lives today. Does he live in your heart? Has he taken control of your life? You can know today. Whether you're a mother or a grandmother or daughter, father or son, brother or sister, you can know today that you can have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He wants to give you the best and the most. Not the best that this world has to offer, but the best of heaven. And He wants to give you the most so that you can have the most and the best life and a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Trust Him for the very first time today if you do not know Him as Lord and Savior or trust Him even more. Because, and we've got kind of a summary there, if you're following along in your notes, the reason you can give of yourself, the reason you give of yourself is because you trust Jesus. Selfish Christians, which should be an oxymoron, are so because they have little faith. Growing faith loves others. Growing faith serves others. In Jesus' three-year ministry, he stayed primarily to the, in Palestine. He stayed there in Israel and Judea and Samaria as far as I know and somebody might help me with this if you find another there's only one time that he left Israel guess where he went Sidon same place that Elijah went to and there he finds another mother there's another mother and she comes to Jesus because she has a daughter who is demon possessed she shows great faith and the demon is cast that may be next Mother's Day sermon who knows this mother of the Old Testament that we've been talking about she placed her faith in God for the very first time the mother in Mark chapter 7 demonstrated her faith in Jesus so here's the bottom line regardless men or women, boys or girls place your faith in Jesus for the very first time if you have not already ask Christ to forgive you of your sins ask Jesus to come in or If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, demonstrate your faith even more. Let's bow together. Father God, as we come to you at this time, we recognize and thank you for this opportunity on this Lord's Day. Father, we are thankful for our moms and our grandmothers. And we're thankful for all the ladies of the church. Father, we just thank you, Father, for their unselfishness. We thank you, Father, for the way in which they serve in the home, in the community, and in the church. Pray your blessings upon each one that is gathered here today. And Father, we thank you that as we've come into this place, we pray that we've been resolved to understand and know that we can trust God no matter what. We know that you are unlimited. We pray, Father, also that we may come and we may, because of your unlimited power and strength and the grace that you show us, Father, may we demonstrate even more faith in the days to come. May we seek after you even more. We pray, Father, if there's one here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day of salvation. If they may come, placing their faith in you, trusting in you. We thank you for the example that we've seen here in Scripture today. Thank you for how you're going to continue to be at work in this service. It's in Christ's name we